Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, March the 29th, 2022. It is currently 4.59 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. It has been a busy 24 hours. I was, if if you were listening live at around 2 a.m., or well, starting around 1 a.m., I was live on the air from about 1 a.m. to 2.30 a.m. doing tests because we've had so many problems with internet connection. I upgraded the, the laptop from Windows 10 to Windows 11. I think that's possibly we think that's fixed the problem. We've done two live broadcasts already today. Um, hopefully those were beneficial and helpful. And I want to get as, I'm going to try to do at least one or two more today. Not only one, because I want you to have content to listen to, but also because I want to ensure uh, that we can go live whenever we want and we don't have to worry about internet connection. So we're hoping everything will work out, but thank you for everyone who's listened to live tests or emailed me and helped me in any way, shape or form as we get through this, uh, period of time where we're having a couple of technological difficulties, but we will get past that. The last thing you want to do is worry about technological difficulties. What you want to be able to do is come up here, to plug in the microphone and go live and deal with whatever you need to deal with right then and there. You don't want to be distracted. You don't want anything else to get in the way. And uh, hopefully we will get to that point soon so that we have a reliable connection so that I can bring you content instead of talking about technological technological difficulties, because I know ultimately you don't care about that. But you may not care about technological difficulties, but what about theological difficulties? Does does that interest you? Does, Does theological difficulties interest you? Now, I may have stumbled upon something that I believe is a theological difficulty. You may not believe, you may not see it, you may not even understand why I've been talking about it, but this is going to be the third broadcast all basically motivated because of an article about what a church is doing. I'm always trying to keep my eye on what's going on in Christianity. That's why we have a series called Eye on Christianity, where I keep an eye on what's going on in the world of Christianity and talk about it. And so as I'm keeping my eye on what's going on in Christianity, I stumble upon a church that is introducing a new program to keep people accountable, to help them grow in godliness, to help them become more holy in a practical way, more righteous in a practical way, so that they can grow, so that they can be what they should be as Christians. And as I looked at the program, it raised lots of questions, and we talked about it. Just just to remind you, because this is very important, just to remind you, we looked at a church smartphone accountability program. This church, obviously, in their minds, the smartphone or and really what it should be called, an internet accountability program, they see that the internet is a major source of spiritual problem and spiritual, basically of sin and and unrighteousness in the lives of many Christians. So they developed an accountability program to try to help them basically move people from stumbling, falling, spiritual weakness, and spiritual sin to a place of spiritual victory, of practical righteousness, and of godliness by creating a program where an overseer is appointed to you, and at any point in time, they can take your phone, and then they can look at basically everything. You're, they're not supposed to look at private messages, which is then Yeah, we could get a whole discussion how this works. You're supposed to promise not to delete anything or try to hide anything. And then whatever they find on your phone, they take it back and report it to uh, those within leadership. It raises lots of questions about the, the authority of the church, the power of the church, how do accountability programs work. It raises lots of questions. And I've just been, I've been really asking lots of questions that has come to my mind in regards to this. And I'm really going to ask you today some very specific questions, and I'm going to need you to be brutally honest. Brutally honest, okay? But let's do this. Let's go to the scripture that they say is kind of like the basis for their their whole accountability program, all right? Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1 verse 28, Colossians 1 28 whom we preach, warning every man 
and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul writing to the church of Colossae is that they were doing a couple of things. Let's make sure we understand this, that they were preaching, warning, and teaching in order to present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus, that that through the preaching, the warning, and the teaching, that people would then be perfected or equipped or matured in their Christian life. And the this church that started the smartphone accountability program, they perceived that the the way to do this is through an accountability program. That if we're going to perfect people, if we're going to move them to spiritual maturity, they need an accountability program. Now you could argue, well, wait a minute. Colossians 1, 28 doesn't say anything about an accountability program. It's talking preaching, warning, and teaching. You you, you could make that argument, but they're trying to do this. Now, It is a very good thing that any church sees that they have a great responsibility to try to perfect, try to to mature, try to disciple, try to to, uh, help equip Christians, move them into spiritual maturity. It's always wonderful to see a church that has a burden and a passion for that. But what is the right way to go about it? And I'm going to ask a really important question here. Do you think churches are actually the main source for producing mature Christians? What do you think contributes the most to Christians growing spiritually? What do you think is the thing that really contributes to spiritual maturity, uh, growth, uh, discipleship? What, What do you think is the thing that contributes the absolute most to that. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase the question in a minute, but I'm getting, I'm trying to just, I'm trying to lead you in a certain direction here. Now, I'm asking this question for a couple of reasons. Number one, there are churches, literally, I don't know where you live, but where I live, literally on every on every corner, according to I don't I don't know how I've not verified these statistics, but I heard them cited from the uh, I've heard them cited my whole life living here, and then I've heard um, when I, when I came back here in the United States military and our opening like briefing when they're welcoming you to the new base and to the local area, they mentioned it as well that there are more churches here per capita than at any than at like any other place in the United States of America. They're, they they say that there's more churches per the population than other than in other words if you average it out we have more churches. That the joke here is that there's a church on every street corner. We have three Christian universities. We have uh, Abilene Christian University, which is Church of Christ. We have Hardin Simmons, which is sometimes we joke as Hardin Sinners, is the Baptist. We have McMurray, which is the Methodist. So three Christian universities, a church on every corner, right? And it's just this is the I grew up here. Churches are just everywhere, and I and I've and I've asked this question to myself really over and over and over in my life. Churches are everywhere. Churches are everywhere. With churches everywhere, and with you know, especially when I was growing up, it seemed like everybody went to church. Are those churches really making a difference? Are they really leading people to practical godliness, to growing in their faith? Is it really making a difference? I mean, and then you just think about there's churches all across the United States of America. You know, millions of people attend. Some churches have thousands and thousands and thousands of members. There's just churches everywhere. Do those churches really, in any meaningful, measurable way, lead to a practical godliness and holiness? Now, every church wants to believe that, man, we're doing it right, and we're turning out disciples, and we're changing people's lives, and, and, and they will, I mean, they, they hype that. And in some cases, it's in their own self-interest to do so. I'm not saying that they're purposely lying. I'm saying it's always in your self-interest to try to focus on the positives, and maybe not give a realistic view of it. So I, I often question, like, how effective is the church? What does the church really do? What are churches really accomplishing? I know that there's 
lots of money that goes through them. There's buildings, there's activities, there's money. I, there's, there's people are employed. I mean, there's property being, uh, you know, uh, purchased. There's a lot of activity. But what is really happening spiritually? I, I've at least raised that question to myself countless times in my Christian life. And then second, so the first reason I'm asking some of these questions is what is the church really doing? How, how do you perceive it? And second, I'm going to be honest with, with you. I'm going to be very honest. And the reason I need to say this right now is because I, I think this really impacts my view. In other words, this may create a kind of a bias and preju- it gives me a prejudice on this subject. And so I just want to get it out of the way. And my experience from the time I became a Christian as a teenager all the way into the adulthood, if I look back at my Christian life, I will say the church, when I'm talking a local church, that in most cases, local churches had very little to do with any growth spiritually. And in many cases, they were the ones that were actually more detrimental to my spiritual growth, not beneficial. Just some quick stories, quick stories. How beneficial is the church, how beneficial was the church to my spiritual growth? When I'm a new Christian as a teenager, trying to figure everything out, I'm told that I need to burn all of my records uh, and all of my music because it's secular and I can't listen to it because it's bad and it's evil and it's going to hurt me spiritually. And then I turn around and realize that everyone in the, in the church is watching secular movies and secular TV shows. I can't listen to secular music, but they can watch secular TV shows. That did not help me spiritually. That confused me and almost made me go, what, in the, what is wrong with these people? How can they not see the, the blatant inconsistency here? I was told, dating myself, that I could not listen to Bruce Springsteen's Tunnel of Love album because it had a, a one or two obscenities, but they could watch movies that had countless obscenities. How was that contributing or helping? On a Friday, now I'm a teenager and I'm doing things to earn some money. And one of the things is like cutting, cutting the grass at the church and doing some different things. So on a Friday, I'm at school. I'm not living with my family because of family problems. I get told I have to get to Abilene, that's in Tuscola, and I have to get to Abilene, which is about 20 minutes away, uh, to the hospital as soon as possible because, well, basically my mother is dead. So I get to the hospital. I mean, they can't declare her dead yet, but for all practical purposes, she's dead. They're going to have to do like two or three tests to, 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 to determine there's no brain waves before they can basically decide that she's dead. It's, it's a horrible, horrible situation. No one saw it coming. She had an aneurysm. It was just horrible, horrible, horrible all the way around. So that happens like Friday afternoon. I, I, I get back home at around 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I receive a phone call from someone in the church who knows what has happened, who knows what has happened, griping at me because I had not mowed the church line. That didn't really contribute to my spiritual growth in any way, shape, or form. Oh, Here's a story. Because of everything happening in my life, I'm allowed to move into the church parsonage. That's great. They don't give me any rules. They don't give me any direction. I have a place to live. It's a Friday night. I'm listening to music because obviously I have, I'm a teenager. I have a stereo equipment. I mean, and, and that was common at that time. But for my life, every from the time I was in kindergarten all the way up to now, I've always had nice stereo equipment. And I'm listening to this really controversial band. I mean, it's just out over the top. Okay, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I'm listening to the band Foreigner, the album Four. I'm not saying, obviously the, al- the album's not a Christian album. I'm not saying every lyric is perfect, but it's not li- anything like, you know, crazy, like the most controversial thing in the world. Well, the pastor's wife rides ba- by the house on her bicycle and she hears oh, rock and roll. She hears music. Now, yeah, I, by no means you, you could come and talk to me and say, hey, you're living in the church parsonage. Okay, we, we're going to have to make some rules here. In other words, you could talk about it in a calm, respectful way, but no, 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 no. She walks to the door. I'm right there, and the, the bedroom is, is where the bedroom is. It's just, 
You come right out of the bedroom and take a right, and there was the front door. And she's obviously pounding on the door, but I can't hear it because the music is loud, all right? Um, the, the one song ends, and as it ends going into the next one, she pounds on the door even harder. And I'm like, what is going on? What? Who's, who's like trying to kick the door in? I come out of the room, start walking through the door, and on that front door, there's like a, there was like a glass window you could look out. She smashes the glass window, smashes it out. I'm like, I'm thinking I'm about to be attacked. The door comes flying open. She runs in, grabs me by the ear, pulls me out of the parsonage and says, I cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ with listening to such ungodly music. I'm sorry, that didn't really contribute to any spiritual growth. In fact, it was detrimental over and over and over and over. And I could tell story after story after story of crazy, insane things happening. Many people have experienced church splits and fighting and backbiting and gossip. And just, I mean, in many cases, not contributing any way to spiritual growth. If I go through everything that's happened to me in local church context or what people have done to me who claim to be Christians, right, who, who are part of the church, gossiping, slandering, stabbing you in the back, not there to help you when you need help, not there to restore you, but more just want to shame you and destroy your reputation and not do anything to come there. Like when, when they know that everything fell apart and you've made horrible mistakes, they don't come sweeping in to build you up and to protect you and help you. They come in to basically try to put you down. When they've seen, Now, I've had some great experience in churches. I, by no means do I want to say everything's been bad. I have great experiences in churches, especially the time as, as, as a pastor. I, I've had very few major issues as a pastor compared to what other pastors tell. But, I'm, I, but in many cases, th these experiences did not contribute. So I sometimes question, what are churches really doing? In my own personal experience. So here, but this is leading me to this question. Here's a church who's like, okay, we're, we've got to present people perfect in Jesus Christ, and we're going to have to have an accountability program to pull this off. So here's what I want you to answer, all right? And I want you to answer this. And this is what I wrote in my journal. I don't know, somewhere around 1230, I don't know what time, somewhere this morning. I wrote, I wrote this, these words. Uh, contributions... Are, are, what, are what contributes to practical godliness. I'm having a hard time reading my own writing here. Um, but contributions to practical godliness are what contributes to practical godliness. I want you to think of all the things in your Christian life. And, and I'm going to name some specific things. What do you think contributes the most to your practical godliness, to you growing, becoming mature in your faith, to you just... It leads to you, you know, moving on down your uh, spiritual path in, a, in, a, in an effective way that what really do you think leads to it? Here's some things I've written down. Church services. Now, the main thing that happens in most churches, at at, I mean, some churches may have all kinds of programs, but we'll just focus on church services. In other words, you go to church on a maybe Sunday school, Sunday, we'll call that a church service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe you have a Saturday night service, maybe you have a Thursday night service. When it comes to just the average church service, and you've probably attended, depending on how long you've been saved, you may have attended hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Who knows how many you've attended, depending on how old you are, how long you've been saved. But when it comes to church services, honestly, how much do you think it contributes to your spiritual growth? I mean, I mean, I want you to just be, you're going to be brutally honest. Some people say, well, but you're, you're, you're bad mouthing the bride of Christ. No, I'm not. I'm just having us have a, an honest talk here. When it comes to church services, how many sermons can you even remember? How many services can you even remember? Now, there are always those weird people, and, and I say weird not in a, a derogatory way, but I'm just saying they're, they're odd, let's say it that way, who seem to have great memories. And can, we have a listener who is from Tennessee who visited our church, I don't even know how many years ago. It's got to be 10 years ago. And uh, he remembers what I was preaching on. He remembers the sermon. That's insane to me. I, I don't even know how that's humanly possible. Okay, 
But that's awesome. But most people are not like that. With From all statistics, every statistic I've ever read and looked at, because this goes back to my first problem, what is the church really accomplishing? Well, if you look at every statistic, most people will have completely forgotten what the sermon was about. Like if you preach Sunday morning, by Sunday night, you probably around 50%, 60% can even remember what it was about. And, and that may even require notes. But by the time you get to Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, for the most part, the sermon is gone. It is not remembered. It is done away with. But basically, very little application of the sermon. It's not remembered. It's just done. It's just gone. So you preach your sermon. And then from a, from a human statistical standpoint, obviously God can work in any way he wants. I'm no, no, no way am I denying God's power or his sovereignty. Obviously not. But I'm saying from a human practical perspective, the sermons are, are pretty much forgotten. They're just gone. They're done. So how much does it really contribute to how much does it really contribute to your spiritual growth if you don't even remember the sermon from last week? Well, what does it even contribute? I, I can remember for for one summer, we were doing kind of a I, I used to give my church lots of challenges, like like this year we're going to do this, this year. And after a while, it became very frustrating because in many cases, you couldn't get people to actually participate. So I had to take a different approach for everyone's sanity. But one summer, we had, we, we had these uh, devotionals that came out every quarter. I still, I still get one. But we used to order like 70, 80 copies of these things and put them in front of the church and give them out to everyone, right? And it was a daily devotional, came out every quarter. I think the thing is, I think the things are awesome. I don't always agree with the theology, but I just thought they did a really, really good job. All right. Um, and so um, we would hand these out. So the goal was everyone gets a daily devotional. Everyone looks at that daily devotional. All they have to do is read it. I even stood before the church and timed it and showed everyone. Takes about five minutes to read the thing, right? If you add the scripture, maybe 10 minutes. Everyone can find 10 minutes in a day to read it. So I wasn't giving them anything difficult. There was no assignments. Just read it. Just be familiar with it, right? That, that was basically it. I did say grab a notebook and just write anything down, like anything you learn from it, just anything. They didn't. I, I even said that you can just write it down. I read it. You could just literally put in a notebook. I read it. But just do something, right? So one week. And then on Sunday school, what we did is I gave a test based off that those weeks that week's devotional. The test was written by my daughter. There was nothing complicated in it. It was nothing theological. It was really simple questions. So one week, just to show you how how sometimes even what the church is doing is just so ineffective. So the entire week, the entire week, every reading was in Philippians I believe too because the this devotional is designed in many cases to take one passage and spend a week going verse by verse through it. So the whole week was on Philippians 2, the whole week. So the first question my daughter put down for the test was, what was the passage of scripture for this week's devotional? Well over 50% of the people could not answer it, meaning they didn't even bother to look. They didn't do, so, so there was a program designed to really try to help people grow spiritually, because I think we would all agree you need daily time in God's word, and it did absolutely nothing. Now, that's not necessarily, well, that's a, kind of a church service, but the church service there was testing what people did. But I just, again, when it comes to the average church service, what does it really contribute? I mean, I know that's a, a brutal question. And I know pastors don't like that question because we all want to convince ourselves, man, that was a good sermon. You want to walk away going, whoa, that was, we went in. That was some good stuff. But you can become quickly discouraged by the next time you're at church going, okay, last Sunday we preached on, and nobody remembers. That is that is the worst feeling as a pastor. It is, it is, you can't even imagine how discouraging it is to go, okay, man, last week you're like, man, we did a great introduction to Jude, or man, we really started taking apart the promises to, to Israel in Romans 9. And then, okay, last week we did... And sometimes if you listen to my preaching, you'll hear my frustration. You'll hear my aggravation because it's like, so what did, so what we accomplished what last week? Absolutely nothing. So, so how much does the average church service contribute next? And this is a, this is a real question. Fellowships. Now, church services are obviously the Sunday morning service, Sunday night, Wednesday. 
fellowships is any activity your church planned. It can be a potluck. It can be a picnic. It can be a, I don't even know what churches do. All of their activities. It can be a, a meal down in the fellowship hall. It can be a it can be an ice cream social. You see, what else do people do? I don't know. Whatever people do. Um, it can be one of those things. Now, many, many pastors, many church members act like that without a fellowship, your church is basically hot garbage, and it's 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 not of any value in any way, shape, or form. That's how many that's how many people act. All right. And um, so my question is: fellowships, how much do they contribute to your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity? How much? This is an honest, honest question. Because people think they're the most important thing in the world. I mean, I mean, we, I've had people, I've had people show up at my church, and we don't. And I tell everyone from from the beginning: Look, the only thing I have to offer to you is the Word of God. All I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the best teaching I can possibly give you. We're going to go in depth. It's going to be teaching, teaching, teaching. You're going to get one hour of teaching in Sunday school, one hour of teaching Sunday morning, one hour of teaching Sunday night, and one hour of teaching on Wednesday. That's what we have. If you want something else, we don't have it to offer, right? And I make it very clear. Now, I do tell the people in my church: You can plan all the activities you want. You can plan camping trips, picnics. You can get together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can you can hang out with each other 24 hours a day. You just don't need the church to organize it. You don't need the church to plan it. You don't need the church to promote it. You know each other, contact one another and plan it. Now, even though I tell everyone that, constantly someone will come and be a part of the church and like, well, we need to do this. And they always, they always make it sound like it's got to be for spiritual purposes. So one time, Someone had become a part of our church, and they were like, we need a men's camping trip. We've got to have a men's camping trip. And they were told, and I, and I quote, this could be one of the most important things that has ever happened in the history of this church. And I'm like, a camping trip? And their minds, this was like, this is absolutely what the men need. The men need to get together and go camp because this will be spiritually life-changing. This will contribute to practical godliness, and this is going to change everything. Some people really believed, and that would be, and they would call it, and they called it a time of fellowship, a time of fellowship. It's always, it's always crouched as you, you get together to eat a hamburger. It's a time of fellowship, right? It's that we, we love that. And I always find it interesting that we use that term, right? You get two lost people. They go to the exact same restaurant. They eat the exact same food sitting at a table, they don't refer to it as fellowship. They don't, add, they don't wrap it up in some robe of self-righteousness. But two Christians sitting in the same restaurant at a, a separate table, eating a hamburger, talking about very similar things, weather, work, football, family, it, they'll be like, thank you for the time of fellowship. You're like, is that, is, that, is that really fellowship? That sounds like a social gathering. But however you want to define them, how important you think they are, honestly, I mean, I need you to be honest. How much do they contribute to your spiritual growth and maturity? I want you to really ask that question. I want you to really ask that question. Third, small groups. Now, for many, they acknowledge that the church services are not really doing it. They're not, they're, they don't really help people grow. They're limited in what we can do. They may say they're wonderful, but I mean, the whole reason small groups even exist is because there is a, uh, there, there has been a philosophy for a long time that the church service itself doesn't work. It doesn't build the relationships you need and that they're, they're lacking. So, the, so you may, you still want to have the church services because, well, you've got to have those because it's almost like, you know, well, that's what we have to do. It's always weird. If the church services don't do what needs to be done, then why do we even have the church service? Get rid of the church service and just move everything to a small group. It's, it's really weird. The, the main service can't do everything. If you really need discipleship, if you really need to grow, if you really want to go in depth in God's word, you need small groups because you can't go that in depth from the pulpit. You hear this, all, this kind of philosophy all the time. So small groups, how much have they contributed to your spiritual growth? I, I need you to be honest. How much did they help you? How much did they challenge you? How much did they just, I mean, and for some, it may be, that's fine. I just want you to think about this, all right? I want you to think about this, all right? So church services, fellowship, small groups. I can't say a lot about small groups, 
I don't, I've not had much, much experience with them. The few times I did, it, I, I, I didn't get the big deal. I mean, we came there, there was some snacks, great, sat around, a lot of talking, just about a lot of nothing. And then when it was time for really any kind of Bible instruction, it was really more like, so what do you think it means? Or what do you think it means? Or it was a situation where, okay, here's the book we're going to be studying. Here's the curriculum. And then everybody's to show up prepared. And then you would realize five minutes into it, nobody's prepared. Nobody read anything. They're, they're sitting there just looking at it, trying to wing it. And, and it's like at some point you're just sitting there going, what are we doing? I could, oh. And you just like, this is just maddening. That, that. Maybe you have a different experience, but that's that's what I, I that's what I experienced. So I, I I don't have positive, but some people believe that that without small groups you can't grow spiritually. That if you're going to perfect people, you know, perfect people or mature people or or make sure they are complete, and we're going to present them to Jesus Christ, that you have to have small groups. Number four. Now this is going to get really controversial. Podcast, online sermons, or just the internet? You just call this the internet. How how impactful, how much has it impacted you? Or you can put Christian radio here. So we'll call it Christian radio slash internet. Because some people, you, you lived before the internet was really a thing. So you may have been greatly impacted by Christian radio, which then turned into the internet. So for your spiritual life, how much has podcast, the internet, and Christian radio impacted your spiritual life. Now, I hate to say this, but I have to say this because it's brutally honest. As a young Christian, the church, I, I, I can't, the church contributed almost nothing to my spiritual growth. I don't even know if I remember any of the sermons, but every day after school, I had a radio, I had my stereo equipment, had a notebook, had a Bible. Three pastors came on, right? Like one, I think there was like a break, maybe an hour or two break between one of them, but there were three of them. And guess what? I listened to every program, took notes, in many cases recorded the program onto cassette so that I could listen to it again. And that that contributed to my spiritual growth. Absolutely astronomical. I, I can't even tell you. I mean, that discipled me. I, I was really learning from that. That's where I was learning more than anything else. Even when I was very much involved in church in Nebraska, now the Bible Institute, the first Bible Institute I went to, which was part of the church, was a, I learned a lot there. I did learn a lot. And I'm not going to say the preaching was bad in the church because it wasn't. Sadly, in many cases, the preaching always disintegrated into the evils of rock and roll, the evils of going to the movie theater, Sometimes these really secondary issues, sadly. Um, but the Bible Institute was great. But even then, you know what contributed most to my spiritual growth at that time? A radio station called Family Radio. Now, sadly, it was the president of it was Harold Camping, who ended up losing his mind and de- predicting the world was going to end in 1994. Then it was going to end in 2001. And yeah, but I was a, and I, I was a, a, a student of his school of the Bible, Family Radio School of the Bible, and I learned a lot there. But you know what? Hours and hours listening to that radio station. Tape recording. I can remember so much the study on Hebrews, the study on Ruth. I can, I can the study on Jeremiah. I, I, I can literally remember almost every hour of those studies because it was just with me around the clock. And then the internet. Oh, man. I can't tell you how many sermons I've listened to, Bible study, seminary lectures. I mean, uh, podcast. Th- that is where I've had some of, some of my most profound spiritual growth was that. And I know that's outside of the local church. Now, in many cases, though, local churches are responsible for producing that content. So in that sense, we can't completely say that local church does nothing. But I'm saying it, it's something outside of my local church. And it was outside of me attending a church service. The greatest growth in many cases was, yeah, I went to church on Sunday, but I couldn't wait till Sunday night to listen to whatever program was going to come on. And, and, and sometimes I would remember that laying there in bed, getting ready you know, to go to sleep 
to go to work the next day. And I would remember whatever teaching I would get at 10, 1030 or 11 o'clock at night on Christian radio more than the sermons that were preached in my own church. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being brutally honest with you. What contributes you most to your spiritual growth? All right, then number five, friends, friends. How much of friendship, Christian friends, contributed to your spiritual growth? How much did, did, did it contribute to your spiritual growth? Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because obviously we have a story here about a church saying, hey, you need an accountability program on your phone because that's how we're going to present people perfect in Christ Jesus. That's how we're going to make make sure we can present them as, as mature and complete as we need. So this is the church attempting to do it. And, and, and you could talk about within questionable means, right? Like, really, you're going to... You're going to basically babysit what people do on their phone. I mean, like, even though they say that's not what it is, it raises lots of questions. Now, now, it's good that they're trying. What I'm trying to determine is what really leads to the most spiritual growth. I think what I'm asking is this. When it comes down to it, like if we're just brutally honest here, I know I keep saying that term over and over and over, but that's okay. Sometimes I catch myself repeating something, but sometimes I'm repeating it on purpose. But I, and I'll always get an email, you repeat yourself too much. Well, sometimes it's on purpose, okay? So I try to acknowledge when I'm doing it on purpose because I really want, I want this to be a brutally honest discussion here, okay? Um, I want, maybe I won't, I won't state it in a dogmatic way. Let me just throw out like just thinking out loud. I wonder when it comes down to it, Honestly, when it comes down to it. Now, by no means am I denying the work of God, how God, how God works in us and through us to grow us spiritually. I, I, I'm no way in any way, shape, or form denying what God does. But I'm just saying from a practical human standpoint, I wonder if the greatest contributor to spiritual growth is self. That all the programs in the church are not going to make a difference. All the church services in the world are not going to make a difference. It comes down to your own personal desire to grow and your own personal discipline. And that discipline shows itself in your own commitment to Bible study, to prayer, to fasting, to listening to sermons, to, to reading Christian books, to, to, and, 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 and I'm not saying other things can't assist that, but it really comes down to the individual. Now, I, 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 I try in my mind, a Bible study exercise. I try, I'm trying to create a group of people who are committed to Bible study. I can't, I can't, I, I, I all I can do is like, all I can do is like, here, here, I'm going to do, I'm going to create the structure. I'm going to place it on these platforms. I'm going to give you access to curriculum. I'm going to give you the Bible memory app. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the tools. Right now, we we do have the Discord channel where there can be some growth, and I do. I at least I find the, the Discord channel at least very edifying and exhorting, and I think it's very beneficial. So I'm hoping we're helping each other. But when it comes down to it, I don't know. I think the the individuals who are, seem to be a part of the Bible study exercises are individuals who've already kind of committed themselves to growing, like they're committed to it. And then, and then you'd have to ask the question, have we created, I don't know how effective the Bible study exercises are. I can't measure that. I don't know how effective, say, the Discord channel is. But if, if let's say, the Bible study exercises and the Discord channel is extremely beneficial, let's say that's true. It's something outside the local church. In other words, so someone can go to a church. That's, that's doing all of that. Like, hey, we're doing this and we're doing it. And there's some people who go to a local church doing that. They don't ever participate and they don't ever care to even get involved. So it really comes down to the individual. In other words, the individual is the one who determines it. 
Now, and again, we can get into a discussion. You know, I know some people believe in a monergistic sanctification versus a, a synergistic. I believe more in a synergistic sanctification. I think we're clearly involved, and I think a lot of it just comes down to a, your own personal, your own personal commitment and dedication and discipline. I see it. I see it very much like sports. Martial arts, since I, I can I can definitely use martial arts as an example, being a martial arts my whole life. Look, I know in martial arts, you always see it. You have people who make show up to class, and that's all they do. And you have other people who not only show up to class, they're at home dedicating hours to memorizing a technique or memorizing a form or, or all the different things. Memorizing maybe, because in some martial arts classes, you, your test also involves history, maybe of Korea or of China or of Japan, depending on where your martial art comes from. Uh, and and so they're, they're the ones who study, 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 work, 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 work. Their, their move, movement forward is 10 times faster than everyone else. And you've got people in every church, you can see that they just got this commitment. They got this passion. They got this zeal. They want to participate. They're, they're there. I wonder if it comes down to just self. Now, I know that calls into question the, the significance of the local church, but it's important. I, I want to read, if I can find the comment. I, I saw a, a, a comment that really, it was under a news article, and uh See if I can find it. If I can find the comment, because there's a lot of comments underneath this news article. So let me see if I can find it here. Okay, well, they're not as many as I thought. Okay, so it should be hard, hard to find. Um, all right, here we go. All right, so this this comment falls under a news story dealing with all of the controversies surrounding MacArthur, the church discipline of Eileen Gray, the husband David Gray going to prison. Even after he goes to prison, it seems that Grace Community Church kind of just treated him like a prison, like he's he's their prison minister and still supported him. Well, it, it seems that Grace Community Church, they're, they're, it sounds like their defense right now is, hey, we've got evidence that proves David Gray is innocent, but we can't share it because of confidentiality. We can't, which is just weird because like if you've got evidence, you should be going to every lawyer in the world to get David Gray out of prison. But so it's really weird, but you can, you can draw your own conclusion on that entire controversy. I don't want to get back into it, but someone underneath that story wrote the following. This is why so many Christians are leaving the apostate institutions of religion with their professional paid clergy that are tyrants over God's elect who exhort money from them with the lie of New Testament tithing. The next reformation is when believers go back to the biblical model of Christ-elect meeting in homes, serving out of, of, serving out of, live, uh, out of life, I guess, and not for profit. Now, we could call into question some of the things they say there, but all right. The point is, there's a growing attitude with this, that you know what? The church is a mess. The church is broken. The church is not doing anything for me. In fact, the church actually may be contributing to me wanting to deconstruct and abandon the faith. So it calls into question, where, where, what is contributing to your spiritual growth the most? Will a, if you look at a church, because everyone looks at the church today, when I say the church, just in general, and we see, and a lot of people will say it's worldly, it's weak, it's apathetic, it's god, it's ungodly, it's just, it's, 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 it's heretical, it's, it's ineffectual, it's illiterate, it's, it's, and when I say illiterate, that it's just illiterate about theology and church history, that uh, scripture is taken out of context, it's been hijacked with politics, that it's just an absolute, complete, total train wreck. Almost everyone agrees that there's some serious problems in the church. There's ungodliness. So if you see ungodliness in your church, is the answer a smartphone accountability program? Will that fix it? Because does it, when it comes down to it, is it the church that it really fixes it? Is it the church that really overcome, helps people overcome sin and grow spiritually? Is it really the church? I mean, clearly, they think they need more than just the preaching and teaching. I mean, clearly, if you're starting a, smart, a smartphone accountability program, you are believing that the preaching and teaching alone isn't sufficient. 
I'm, I, I want to make it very clear. I'm not condemning any kind of an accountability program. I, I, I think so, the, the structure for the one that we've been talking about is problematic because now you have one person reporting it to other people. And it's just, it just seems like it just is going to create an environment where people who that one, that people feel like they have to be a part of the program because if they don't, everyone's going to view them with suspicion. And if you're a part of the program, you're definitely going to want to hide information and you don't feel like you can be brutally honest. So it just seems like it's problematic and it's structure. But I'm just saying that I don't know, does the church really contribute that much to it? Now, I'm not saying we abandon the church because it's obviously I believe it's a biblical concept that most of the New Testament was written to local churches, that the New Testament gives instructions on how the local church should operate to some level. It, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, some will say that was referred, we can get to a discussion whether you believe it, the universal idea versus local idea. I know we can get into all of the ecclesiological d- d- discussions and debates. I'm not, I'm not here to do that. And if you hear if you hear something here, I got two pencils in my hand because when I start thinking, I like to pick up pencils. Okay, as soon as I start like I'm just processing thought, I immediately grab a pencil. Like when I when I if I'm walking around trying to think of some deep theological thing, I always have to have a pencil in my hand. It just seems like it's I've got to have a pencil in my hand. Um, I just think we have to ask ourselves what really contributes to our spiritual growth? What really contributes to practical godliness? Yesterday I did a broadcast reading an article about practical godliness, and they kind of like, well, you've kind of basically got the 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 things you do on your own, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, and then you've got those interpersonal things like church service, Lord's Supper, baptism, and that these are the things that contribute to practical godliness. But again, I would ask, how, how how much does the Lord's Supper really lead to practical godliness? Now, I know this goes, that's almost anathema to sacramental people who believe the Lord's Supper is a means of grace, that grace is imparted through it. And we I, and I reject the sacramental idea, but, but what does it really contribute? Now, I'm not saying we should abandon the Lord's Supper because it's scriptural and we should do so, and that should only be done in the context of a local church. So I'm not in any way throwing out the local church. I'm just making, I'm trying to make us have a more realistic approach to it. What really leads to someone growing in godliness? What really leads to it? What, 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 what's, what's going to accomplish that? And I just think back on my, my own spiritual journey and so much of it happened outside of the local church. Now I may be, it may be other content produced by local churches, so praise God for those local churches producing that content. But why is it that in many cases it's content produced by another church that's more impacting me than my own local church? And it's weird sometimes the people who attend the church, of the people who attend the church that produces so much content that's blessing so many people, in many cases the people who attend the actual church doesn't really either participate in the content being produced or benefit from it. Which, which is just really strange, which I think, I, I think that uh, familiarity breeds contempt. If you go to that church, then you're almost kind of a, a dismissive, yeah, whatever, I don't care how much content we produce. I, they may actually be listening to someone else. But that, again, that's all happening outside of the context of the local church. So I'll just leave it for you. What, what has contributed most to your spiritual growth? And what, did, what, what should we take from that, especially in light of a church trying to develop an accountability program? Now, I'm not saying the accountability program is wrong, but I just don't know. I don't know what the local church does that really contributes. I, I know churches always have their stories. And it's great that they have those testimonials that, you know, hey, we're, our church will fix everything, but I just... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not formulating any doctrine from this discussion. I'm not abandoning any doctrine. I'm not abandoning the, the, the you know, London Baptist Confession. I'm not, I'm not throwing anything. I'm just questioning and asking, which I think, and if you think about it, if you watch a lot of the deconstruction videos, a lot of them really do question the whole purpose of the local church, the effectiveness of the local church. So I think a lot of people are asking the question in 2022. And I think we can ask the question. And you can give me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. 
newsif at yahoo.com. Now, for those listening, a couple of things. I want to continue to promote this. If you have not downloaded the Church One, downloaded the Church One app, please take some time to do so. Church One, that's Church. The letters O N E, Church One. Download the app, then simply type in Theology Central. Choose us as your as your preferred broadcaster. Make sure all the notifications are are on, and enjoy all of our content. If you do download the Church One app and you've never contacted me, you've never told me, just email me newsif at yahoo.com or and on YouTube, just leave in the comment section, downloaded the Church One app. It was simple. It was easy. It works great for me because we're really trying to promote that. And the reason I'm pushing it is, one, I want people to be able to get our content. And a lot of people complain that they can't find something or they don't get a notification. All the different complaints. This is to try to rectify that. And number two, um, where this is the best month we've ever had with the Church One app as far as numbers. And, and that's also connected to the Sermons 2.0 app. But but the Church One app, I mean, we're, we're having the best best month we've ever had. The best month we've ever had. And we've had the best month we've ever had on YouTube. So we've we've far out, we, we're, we're doing great on both. But the Church One app, because a lot of people on YouTube are like, well, I can't find this. And where is this? And yeah. Uh, we, we have, we're, we've got some ideas to try to improve that, but I, I don't think no matter what we do to improve it, I don't think it will ever be as good as the Church One app. And that's my own opinion. And the Church One app, you can listen to us when we go live. So um, please consider it. And if you're listening to me on any other podcasting app, please consider downloading Church One, Church, O-N-E, download it, Theology search for Theology Central, choose us, and then you get all of our content and you know when we're live. You can just, you may not want to listen to me when we're live, but if you want to, you have the ability to do that, all right? And of course, Spreaker, we're never going to get rid of Spreaker ever because that's our podcast hosting site, and that's how our content gets sent out to YouTube, Pandora, Amazon Music, Deezer, Pocket Cast, Procast, Radio Public, TuneIn, uh, iHeartRadio. I, I mean, I can just go on. And I, could, I mean, it would take me probably 15 minutes to read every platform that we're on. That's all because of, of Spreaker. So um, we're never going to get rid of that. But we're, we also, uh, I want to, I just want to make it easy for people to get our content. That's what I want. All right, there you have it. Just continuing to, th- you can see that article about the the smartphone accountability program. You see the how dangerous my brain is. It can just go and go and it take one subject and it can just go and go. At some point, I have to just stop it because, yeah, I can just I, I could just sit here for days talking about one subject. And it's just, uh, you know, sometimes I stop myself because I don't think it's beneficial to anyone else. But I really think this is kind of beneficial. I think it I think we're asking tough questions that a lot of people who are posting you know, deconstruction videos, they're asking, but we need to be the one asking the questions as well. All right. I can't wait to see what you have to say. All right. Thanks for listening. Um, Email me, newsif at yahoo.com and download the Church One app and search for Theology Central. All right. Thanks everyone. Have a great day. God bless.